How's everybody doing? Good? Okay, before you get totally settled, uh, this is a PG-11 service, okay? So if you have um, kids under that age that are in here, you want to get out of here right now, okay? And I'm telling you right now, okay? Because I'm going to talk about sex, all right? And so um, I know a little bit about it. I have four kids. Um, and so... I'm going there, okay? So I'm just warning you. You warned? Everybody warned? Okay, because um, we're going there, all right? Hey, listen, can we welcome all our online uh, uh, viewers? Give them a big hand. Amen. But most importantly, I want to welcome our Framingham campus. We love you guys. Come on, let's give them the biggest shout out. We're so glad you're with us this morning. We're proud of you. We're just absolutely blown away what God is doing over there where hundreds of people are gathering in the Framingham location, um, in the school over there on Elm Street. We're so, so proud of you, and we're so glad that we can be with you in church today, and you can be with us. And God can just literally join one church in two locations, make us all one big family. We are a family. Amen? Amen, amen, amen. amen. So, listen, um, we're in a, a series. By the way, if you don't know who I am, my name is Pastor Derek. Uh, PD, everybody say, what's up, PD? That, that's what everybody calls me, so just go ahead with that. That's all good. But um, enough about me. Um, what do you think about me? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> no, really. No, just kidding. Uh, I got to move on because I'm talking about sex. And uh, anyway, so um, I got to do the impossible task of, in, in, you know, in 37 minutes and 16 seconds, talking about a subject that I typically do over four weeks. So whenever I've taught on the subject, it's usually a series so this is an impossible task, so everybody pray for me as we go forward. Um, uh, we're, we're, in, we're culminating a series today. We've been doing um, all these problems that people have with God. The series is based on a book. You guys know that. This is the first time in a long time I've done a series this long. This is the seventh installment of a series. Wow. Like that... How many have been in the church more than five years at Connect? More than five years, okay? Yeah, so if you, if you haven't been here more than five years, you haven't seen that before. <laughs> so this is unusual to go that long in a series. But uh, we've been dealing with all different aspects of, um, you know, apologetics and dealing with the skepticisms, uh, the skepticism of, of, you know, people's faith and their, and, their, and their issues and obstacles with God so that we can work through our own issues and obstacles. But one of the top obstacles that people had uh, with God was the problem of sex. In other words, the Christian view of sex keeps people from Christianity, keeps people from God. And so we want to kind of get into that uh, right away. Is everybody with me now? Yeah. All right, you can get your worship guides out and you can follow along. And um, I'm just going to tell the AVL team and everybody, I might be bouncing around because of what I got to do today. So just stand by. Okay, so first of all, let me open by saying sex was from a Christian perspective, created by heaven, not Hollywood. Can I have an amen? It was God's creation, and it was good in the beginning. And basically what happened is uh, Satan, uh, with, with all things, has come in and attempted to distort the original intent and original design of something. And Satan is an expert at that. He's an expert at altering um, that which is good and turning it against us. And so sex is a problem today. 
uh, not just for the skeptic towards God, but it's a problem for, uh, for, for us in our relationships with people, for us even our relationship with ourselves, which I'll show you in a little bit. But it's been a problem throughout history. When I was uh, reading um, just this last week, I think it was Wednesday morning, I was reading in the book of Genesis, and this is kind of crazy story there in Genesis chapter 6, but you can see that way back in the beginning, um, the damage, the damaging effects of sex. The world was actually destroyed in Genesis chapter 6. If you read the first few verses, basically fallen angels from heaven saw beautiful women on earth, had relations with them, had children uh, in, in order for this kind of wickedness to be kind of propagated throughout the earth. And, and ultimately, God looked at that and saw the earth as irredeemable. Um, and, it, and, and, it, and it was destroyed um, by the flood. Some of you guys don't realize that the reason there was a flood really was because of a misuse or abuse of sex. Interesting, isn't it? Another problem that we have kind of personalizing it, maybe not as historical, but certainly has been there throughout history, is that it's the most natural place to sin in, sex. Um, because it's birthed out of a natural God-given desire that we have. In other words, you don't have to go look for that desire. That desire is built into you. It's, it's within us. It's already in us, given actually to us by God. The desire is there, given to us by God. The activity we'll talk about separately. But like a person who drinks, um, and hopefully you don't do this very often, it's just an illustration, but, but sex is like a person who drinks salt water. Just try, you're trying to quench your thirst. In the process of trying to quench your thirst, you become even thirstier. In the process of doing that, you are taking in something that is bad for you. In salt water, eventually your kidneys cannot flush all of that. And if you continue to drink it, you not only go mad, you actually die. That's how our culture is right now with the subject of sex. And I want to give you some kind of common views of sex as we go forward. Is everybody taking notes out there? If you're not taking notes, go ahead and take notes right now, okay? So here's three kind of common views. These are not all of the views. These are just three of the views. But one of the most prevalent ones is that sex is just an appetite. It's just an appetite. Um, it's simply biological. It, it's, it's, um, it's like when you get hungry, what do you do? You find food and you eat it. You know what I mean? Some of you, the most exercise you do is running to the refrigerator. And then you get there. And, 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 and what's funny now today is I see this a lot with my kids. My son will come over. Our refrigerator will be packed full of food. And he'll open the refrigerator and say, there's nothing to eat. <laughs> you know what that means? It means if it cannot instantaneously move from the refrigerator to my mouth by some miraculous transportation process, then there's nothing to eat. In other words, it has to be instant. It has to be immediate. It has to be uh, instant gratification, immediate satisfaction. And, and that's the world today when it comes to sex. Sex is just an appetite. In other words, I have this sexual desire. It's only natural that I have sex. And so we, we see it through that lens. We see it as kind of, uh, we talked a lot about evolution um, and, and kind of um, uh, determinism and naturalism within this series. And so it, within naturalism, within this kind of uh, evolutionary thinking, um, this, there's this idea that we're just, it's just an unguided uh, evolution, that this is just what we do. It's natural. It comes from, comes from the loins, and we just have to, and longings. All that is natural to, to, to propagate, to, to expand the species. You have an urge. And no one should be able to tell you that you cannot satisfy that urge however you want. Obviously, we know today, or most people would think naturally, we got to have consent. We have to have uh, two consensual adults who, you know, love each other 
<coughs> that used to be the kind of standard there. But, but actually, if you look through this lens of naturalism, if you look through this biological kind of viewpoint, that's not necessarily a requirement, depending on how you view it. That's why today uh, we see this manifest in very aberrant ways, but throughout history, in particular within the male species, People, men would try to just sleep with as many people as possible to just keep the gene pool going and, and make as many people as possible to, to survive and to see their offspring, offspring continue. So when you see things through a naturalistic lens, it explains why throughout history there have been harems, why there's polygamy, why there were concubines at one time, you know, commonly. Um, in some parts of the world, you know, that's why we see the excessive issues with, with, within uh, pornography and sex trafficking. And why not? Because sex is just an appetite. It's a common view. Is everybody with me? So if there's no God, there's no morality. And if, if sex is just an appetite, then why not do this? And so, for example, if you consume pornography, um, basically what we're saying when we consume pornography is sex is just an appetite. And uh, it, it has to be satisfied. And so this is a convenient, ex expeditious way for me to satisfy that appetite without hurting anyone in the process. Or at least that's the, that's the conditioning or the mindset that people have. And it, it's a need. And porn just simply satisfies that need. Or if it's, if it's physical or relational, that's why today we have um, in our culture today many different aspects of our sexuality and identity um, you know, straight, gay, lesbian, you know, uh, transgender, uh, bi-curious. There's, there's, there's some new ones that are, uh, you know, out there now that are coming up that are, that are even different. Whatever those identities are, um, you know, sometimes we're in relationship just for the sexual aspect of it. Friends with benefits, no attachments, no definitions relationally. This is our current world, probably primary view. Is everybody tracking? So sex is an appetite. The next one is sex is God. I put small g there because it just felt wrong. Um, <coughs> sex is God. Now you see this way back in the Old Testament. There were kind of, uh, the, sex as God is not a new, new, a new identity, a new identification. Um, the world has always struggled with this. You see this in mythology with Aphrodite. You see this kind of in the Hebrew culture with, you know, and, and the, and the uh, early phases of, of the people of Israel. You see God warning them to stay away from certain idols. And one of those idols was Ashtoreth or Ashereth. Uh, it's basically just this pleasure God. And so we have uh, in our society today uh, sex is clearly a God. You just have to get on the media or the mainstream you know, through whatever stream you want, and you look just for a little while what's trending out there, uh, watch the music videos and watch uh, uh, movies that are coming out, and you see even just the ratings, the fact that you have to make a disclaimer uh, today uh, is, is only about a generation old. You wouldn't put stuff out on the airways like you put things out there now. Is everybody tracking with me? And so... You see that with uh, this, the, the things that are coming through our eye gate in particular, it's trying to communicate, uh, you know, new rules. You know, your identity, your worth, your, your body shape, and what's, and what's acceptable, how you feel, your value to others. Uh, the messaging is if you're not getting any, then you're nobody, and you're falling short, and so... In the world today, a view that is being, you know, hitting us all the time is that sex is the ruler. Sex is the ruler. 
and you're a sexual being, and you need to serve sex if you're going to be happy. Is everybody tracking with me? So this is common. What underlies these views, it's not in your notes, but you can write this down, is your body is seen in the world today as a commodity, something you barter with, something you trade, something you offer. Your body is merely a commodity. It's something you give to someone to get something in return. You give it to receive acceptance. You give it to receive, you know, uh, uh, you know for achievement, for escalation within, um, you know, the, the world, and to move forward, to get ahead, things like that. But, but it's a commodity. Your body's a commodity. It's not really attached to you. It's not attached to your emotions. This is how it's, being, it's permeating our culture. It's not attached to your, to your soul. It's not attached to your mind because your body is simply a commodity. And Scripture says it's not like that. And we're going to get into that in a little bit. We'll see that in a second. But you have a soul. You are a tripart being. You have a certain dignity. Your body wasn't meant to be objectified. You're, not, you're more than a need meter. Your body is not just a meal to be consumed by someone else. You have a heart, you have a mind, you have a soul. And actually, they're all attached. It all, it, all of that makes up you and who you are. You are not just this body. You are not just your anatomy. You are you, are, you, are you a tripart whole person. Amen? Amen. And so as Christians, um, sometimes we mix it up too. It's not just the world, but Christians mix it up too. I see Christians get diverted and, and distracted because, because we think that... Um, you know, we, we think that sex is the ultimate, too. We see sex, or we see within the context of marriage, sex is the ultimate. From the outside in. If we're not married and we're looking, you know, ahead, we think marriage is the ultimate. And one of the ultimate uh, benefits of that, of course, is sex. But there's greater joy if you look at the scriptures and you see things right, and this matters, when, when that, 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 that sex will ultimately be retired. Marriage will be retired. Because we're awaiting a greater pleasure, a greater reward. Marriage is, and sex within it isn't the ultimate reality. But it's just, it's actually, listen, sex and marriage are actually a pointer to a greater reality. Okay? So, uh, the Bible says in Matthew, it's not in your notes, but Matthew 22, it says, In the, resur- in the resurrection, that's when we, after we were in heaven... Uh, when we, are, uh, we all meet God in the air and we go to heaven, they will neither marry nor be given in marriage. So I got some bad news for some of you who are looking at it a certain way, but in heaven you won't be married. Some of you are like, that's good news, but don't say that out loud, okay? Just don't say that out loud. <laughs> Several people smiled, some people cried. Anyway, <sighs> that's how we determine who needs counseling. We just do that question and we take a snapshot of the crowd and we know everybody who needs help. <laughs> so... So in heaven, you won't be married. It's momentary. It's a brief blessing against the backdrop of eternity. So, so singles who've never been married, um, sometimes people as singles think, because I've never been married, it's a tragedy. Well, then Jesus is a tragedy then. Well, then Jesus is a tragedy. We can't make a God of marriage. We can't make a God of sex. Marriage is for a moment. Jesus is forever. So sex is temporal. Can everybody agree with me on that? So pleasure can't be God. In the context of sex, or even in marriage, it's simply a pointer to what God is like in heaven. So if he would do this for us here, in context, what would heaven must be, what must heaven be like? You getting that? He's not going to give you something, take it away to give you something worse when you go to heaven. He's going to take something away to give you something better when you get to heaven. 
Some of us just think we're just going to sit on clouds and sing kumbayas for the rest of our life, and we're going to be bored out of our skull. It's going to be so much better than it is right here. Can I have an amen out there, okay? All right, so here's the third view. The third view is sex is bad. <laughs> sex is bad. Again, common views. Now, if you grew up in a religious environment, I think primarily I'm talking to people who've had some religious experience, all right, that are in this room, especially, you know, people, Christians, you probably heard something like this. If sex is an appetite, if, if, it's, not, if it's not maybe that to you, if sex isn't God, okay, you know that's not true, then what is it? Well, sex is bad. All through your religious training, up your exposure I would submit many people have heard, whether it be in youth groups, in camps, in Sunday school, in church, from pastors, from Christian leaders, from your parents, from your grandparents, you heard sex is bad, sex is nasty, it's dirty, it's sinful, so save it for the person you love. <laughs> That's jacked up, everybody. <laughs> what? That's what I heard. And... <laughs> And so, so that's really bizarre, you know? And then later you're with someone and you're like, wait a second, I can do this, it's okay now, but it's dirty, it's bad, it's sinful, it's illicit, and I'm allowed? What? And that's, that, that message has caused a lot of problems for, for people, especially for religious people and Christians. For some, shame becomes the byproduct of it because you associated sin, sex with sin. You know, I used to, because when I, when I was in college, I used, to, I used to cut up the rug, okay? What does that mean? That means, that means I had skills on the dance floor. That's what that means. Okay? I could, uh, don't just stand there, bust a move. Yes, that was me, okay? I could do that. I used to win white boy contests at the clubs, okay? Just so you guys know. Yeah, I could do the Carlton, you know what I mean? And, and, and from Fresh Print, never mind. You guys don't know what I'm talking about up there. All right? So the point is, the point is, the point is, here's what happened to me, though. See, dancing led to sex. So I had an association that dancing was bad. Now, for some of you who were raised in certain denominations, you believed that sex led to dancing because dancing was just communicated as sinful, you know what I mean, your whole life, right? So the point is there were certain, certain things you did, they were connected to something else because the messaging you heard, there was an association that it was bad. So then you get married as a Christian, you realize you think sex is bad. It's not bad. It's not bad at all. It's awesome, okay? And so, so shame sometimes for some, and then some people live with these distorted, uh, repressed sexual lives in the context of marriage. So here's the, here's the thing. What is sex? Turn to your neighbor and say, what is sex? No, just kidding. Don't do that. <clears throat> you don't want to know what they have to say. You don't want to know what they have to say, okay? If it's not an appetite, if it's not God, if it's not bad, what is it? Write this down, okay? From Jesus, from God, from his word, sex is a gift. Sex is a gift. Sex is a gift from God. Amen. It's a gift. It's a gift. It's a pointer to heaven. Sex is a gift from God. Think about it. Adam and Eve were in the garden. Paradise. What's the best place you can go to on the planet Earth? Imagine that for a vacation. That's where they lived, and they were naked with no mirrors. Ladies, that's good, isn't it? Come on, you know you hate mirrors. Certain times of the day, you know, all right? And so, so that's God. That's how he is. Think about how you're constructed. If you, if, you, if, you, if you look at the human body, the human form, the human anatomy, there are pleasure points all over your body. Who did that? The creator. He created you with these pleasure points, okay? He wanted you to have pleasure. He wanted you to have orgasms. 
Praise the Lord. <clears throat> Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. If anybody said amen in Framingham, good for you. Good for you. Okay? Good for you. Anybody who's responding now was at the marriage event, okay? And so you got set free. Some of you guys need to get set free, okay? We'll just call it the big O for the rest of the service just so that everybody can get through it, okay? So God wanted you to have a big O, okay? I'm not talking about Cheerios. I'm talking about the big O, okay? It was a gift. God's like, it's a gift from me to you. It's a gift from me to you, okay? When you are in this life experiencing pleasure, you need to know that God is behind that. That's not just sexual. It could be a beautiful sunset. It could be art. It could be the oceans. It could be nature. It could be uh, tastes. You know, when, you're, when your five physical senses are on fire, it's from God. It's a gift from God. It's not unguided evolution. All right, you're telling me that there's no poet behind the poetry, there's no, there's no architect behind the design, there's no artist behind the artistry, there's no creator behind the creature and the created. There's the, the, no, come on now, there's no giver behind this gift? See, God's behind that. Actually, sex originally, and this is hard to unpack fast, but sex originally was intended to inaugurate and renew a relationship. Inaugurate, okay, is, is basically when you set something in motion. You set something in motion. To set in motion. Uh, to renew is to go back to that which you set in motion. Revisit. A commitment. Revisit. We would say scripturally or in a Christian context, a covenant. And so the, the union <clears throat> between a man and a woman was inaugurated by the shedding of blood of a virgin over the male organ. This is symbolic of covenant. Covenant always has the shedding of blood. You're like, why is, what is that all about? That's how it was supposed to be. It inaugurated a covenant. It started with a commitment, and then it was followed by pleasure. In the world today, we start with pleasure, and then we have no commitment. Technically, within the context of marriage, this is statistical and scientific and proven by the highest, uh, most reputable organizations in the world. People within the context of marriage have better sex. It's a fact. That's not what you hear through media, but that's true. Now, some of you have kids who are here in the room with your parents. That's disgusting to you right, right now, and I understand that. And I'm sorry for what, that's why I was warning you earlier. But married people have better sex statistically. Why? Because there's commitment, and to get good at something, it takes hard work. That's why. And so when, there's, when something is disposable, when something is something that you, you just could, uh, you could move on to the next best thing, when there are external forces also participating within that relationship, you're never going to have it as good as you are when it is exclusive, when it is defined, when it is commitment, and when it starts with commitment first. In the world today, we start with, uh, I'm attracted to you. I make an emotional connection, then I hope for commitment. In the, in the kingdom of God, we start with commitment. Excuse me. We start with an emotional connection, a friendship. We make a commitment, and then we have the physical blessing and benefit and pleasure. Does that make sense? It's, it's like a triangle of love, but we've flipped the triangle upside down, and we're wondering why it won't stand because it's on a point, and it's not on a foundation of commitment and covenant within the context of God. So, so sex... Has, has fallen today. Sex then was stained in blood. Sex today is stained by sin. 
It's fallen prey after creation. And so instead of it being one of the greatest pleasures in life, it's brought some of the greatest pain. Uh, this is an interesting uh, illustration, t- but, but in, in Alaska, Eskimos, when they're trying to deal with the, the wolves and, and the population escalating, one of the ways that they kill wolves is that they'll take a knife and they'll place it in the ice with the blade up, stick it into the ice, and then they'll cover it, they'll cover it, they'll coat the ice and the knife with blood. And then the wolf, compelled by the smell of the blood through its instincts and through its yearnings and desires, will come obviously close to that. And this frozen coated blade, um, they'll begin to lick it. And they lick it and they lick it. And as they do, obviously the licking, they do not catch the transition. They don't see what's happening from the blood on the knife to the blade of the knife. And as they're their tongue is getting colder and the blood also is becoming warmer. All they, know is, all they know is that it tastes good and it's good for them. And after a time, the wolf dies having bled to death, eating its own blood, not knowing that it was doing so. This is very common. They're finding out too late that the enjoyment of the thing they were eating was destroying them at the same time. Such is what happens within the context of sex out of context. Sexual immorality would be the word. Would be the word. And today there are over 60 texts in the Bible that deal with sexual morality. And you almost never hear about them in, the, in church. Ever. Because everybody's scared to death to talk about it. Okay? And so we see, we see, if we're honest, without even looking at the Bible, how sex out of context has cost us. Marriages have been destroyed. Reputations have been destroyed at the highest levels. Dignity. Decency. People have lost jobs. People have... Destroyed relationships, all within a culture that has lost the true meaning of sex. Is everybody out there? People say things all the time. Regret. I wish I had and I wish I didn't. Some of my greatest regrets in my life as your pastor, to be honest, redeemed by God. Thank- thankfully, we can restore that which we lost. We can, reta- we can regain a spirit of innocence, virginity, and the like. But, but, but let me just say, some of my greatest regrets have been sexual. By far. And I think it's the same way for you. Let's just, let's just note it got quiet in this Catholic church. <clears throat> Paul, Paul gives us an extended discussion, um, a theological understanding of sex in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Now, what's in your notes is 1 Corinthians 6, 14 and following, but I'm going, I'm going to um, kind of jump in a little bit earlier in 1 Corinthians 6, 9. This is where I'm going off a little bit, okay? 1 Corinthians 6, 9. It's not in your notes, okay? Here, I'm going to read something strong. Is everybody ready for this? Okay. This, this, this helped me, but it also hurts a little bit. It says, Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? So this chapter is all about the doctrine of sex. I hate this text, when I was, especially when I was growing up as a young man. But I'm going to help you a little bit, but I'm also going to poke a lot too, okay? It says, Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. And it lists all these sexual sins. Fornication, idolaters, adulterers, homosexuality, blah, 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 thieves, covetousness, drunkards, revilers, extortioners. Then he says, will, uh, nor will they inherit the kingdom of God. I used to be like, oh my gosh, what if I've done any of those things? Am I out? So he says, he says this, this is the lifestyle that will block you from inheriting the kingdom of God. Don't misunderstand this. He's saying you won't inherit. He didn't say you won't enter. 
the kingdom of God. Okay, We all entered the kingdom of God by grace through faith in the finished work of Jesus Christ. But you inherit the kingdom of God. That is, you accrue the benefits of the kingdom of God by the lifestyle you lead in accordance with God's word and standard. Everybody track that difference right there? I want you to see something. So in other words, you may be going to heaven, but heaven's not coming to you. Okay, so Paul's like, hey, 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 I want you to understand something. This isn't about entrance. This is, uh, this is about inheritance. You are not getting the benefits of the gift that I gave you because you're not following my instructions, is what he's saying here. So, this, this uh, he says, in verse 11, he says, and, some, and such were some of you, such were some of you. You were washed, but you were sanctified, but you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of God. He's saying, such were some of you. That's basically, he's saying, that's how you used to roll before you got saved. That, that's, that's who you were, but that's not who you are. And who you are is not what you see or what you feel. Who you are is who you know, Jesus Christ. And we'll talk about identity in a little bit. So you can have, listen, men, women, it's both sides, by the way, some percentage-wise a little more than the other. You can have a desire. That's natural. But Paul is saying the activity, that's not natural. Just because you have that passion doesn't mean you have to give in to that passion. That is contrary to what secular society and the world is telling us today. Is everybody up for the snack? Is everybody paying attention? Some of you are just, you know, you're stunned right now. That's okay. So the natural passion or desire, okay, yes, it's natural. But the activity that can become unnatural according to 1 Corinthians chapter 6, 9 and following. That's what Paul's saying. There's a line there. I understand you might feel that way, but we don't always have to give in to our feelings. If I gave in to all my feelings, I wouldn't be standing here right now. I'd be dead. We obviously have to have lines. And so the Bible gives us these lines, not as restrictions, but as protection, so you can enjoy all of the benefits, inherit all the blessings of God in the kingdom of God. Okay? It's good stuff, okay? Here's what, here's what, here's what the problem is, though. And the topic is supercharged. What does that mean? Sex is a supercharged topic. It basically means sex is almost impossible to talk about. Somebody just asked me before I came, two people asked me before I came in here on stage, is it really difficult to talk about sex on stage? And I, it's kind of like yes and no. I'm free personally, but, but it's hard because I'm trying to help so many people in such a short period of time who are all over the map on this. There's beliefs that are different. There's damage. There's confusion and chaos, all in kind, everybody's, that's what I feel. And so it's a supercharged subject. People struggle to even talk about it inside, outside the church. I believe we should talk about it inside the church more than you get it outside. You know, by the way, I said PG-11. I hope you're talking to your kids about it. The first people they should hear about sex shouldn't be the world. It shouldn't even be me. It should be you. You need to talk to your parents. You need to talk to your kids. And, And kids, talk to your parents if they're not talking to you about it. Yeah, that's what I meant to say. (laughs) Dad, I have a question. Mom, I have a question, okay? But my gosh, it's so supercharged and so filled with darkness and and distortion and shame that there's just these huge walls and everybody's figuring it out in the dark. I'm spitting up here. This must be a good message. (laughs) I just saw it in the lights. The lights bring it on. It's so great. It's awesome. Appreciate that. <clears throat> all my sin out there in the open. Anyway, all right, so here, here's what's happened, though. Porn has created sexual distortion. 
Porn has distorted the realities of sex. There's a mounting body of evidence outside of the church, outside of religion, data outside of that. It's purely scientific that it is affecting you. People say pornography doesn't hurt anybody. It hurts everybody. One-third of all the websites on the Internet today are pornographic. One-third. That's epic. Every single time we consume or view a person um, through pornography... We don't realize we are disconnected from, because it's an appetite, that they have a heart, that that person has a soul, that that person, you know, has um, a story, that that person has a dad. Isn't it amazing how we have, we, it's so impersonal and, and we have just simply objectified that it's just a meal. It's all I'm doing. I'm consuming a meal and there's no connection to it at all. Pornography has done that. If you look at the climate sex trafficking, you know, pornography has fueled the fire for that. You, you can't, you know, that's why I want whatever. I, gotta, I don't have time to do all this, but I want to get behind that. I'm, I'm believing that our finances are going to grow as a church so that we can establish a new partnership and get behind a sex trafficking organization. I don't want to just send a couple hundred dollars. I want to send thousands of dollars to make a real difference. But I need you guys to grow up, get obedient, become a tither, and invest so that we can do that. Does that make sense? Can you handle that right now? Okay, so that's why it's so important. But right now we have, like, so many partners, and we're, we give, you know, over 10% of our, of our revenues to those partners. I want to do more in Jesus' name. But 20 years ago, you couldn't, you, it was hard to get porn. I, I had a problem with porn as a young man, um, and I can remember, you know, walking by the convenience store, the 7-Eleven, like 50 times, contemplating how am I going to get this magazine into this brown paper bag and get it home under my mattress. I'm just being honest. It was hard. You had to face the shame of that cashier who was probably 50 years old, and he's looking at you, which I am, and he's looking at you. You know, with those eyes of like, what are you doing, young man? You know what I'm saying? Not today. Today we carry it around on our phones. Everywhere we go, every day, free and accessible. Man, things have changed. Many people have new sexual disorders because of overexposure to that. SDD, sexual desire disorders. It's a, it's a, it's a real thing that's out there today, and it's affecting um, what God created as a gift. This guy, he studied porn, um, Dr. Simon Lajanus from the University of Montreal, and he said this, The objective of my work is to observe the impact of pornography on the sexuality of men and how it shapes their perceptions. We started a research seeking men in their 20s who had not yet consumed pornography, but we couldn't find any. <laughs> I mean, we wonder why our relationships are struggling. It's because they're stained by sin. And the reality is we all need Healing from the damage of sexual sin. Things done to us, things consumed by us, things we've seen, etc. Can I get an amen from everybody in the house? See, you say, well, I don't know, I believe all that. Well, let's just take the Bible out. Let's just take Christian worldview out. I was ministering years ago to a woman, and she'd been married. Listen to this. Listen, this is a true story. Ten times. Needless to say, she still wanted to get married. <laughs> Praise the Lord. But anyway... But she, she, she's basically said that every time she got married, you know, she was asking, like, is it okay to, you know, in the dating relationship since I, the first time, you know, I had sex, then she believed it was okay thereafter to continue to have sex 
before marriage. And so it was just this interesting conversation about that that you'd probably love to hear more about. But the, but the reality was, I said, let's just take out what God says or what you think he says and all that. Has sex brought complications and confusion to your life? I just think about that for a second. And she, she, she started to think about it, and she started to cry. And she, and she said, it's brought nothing but complications and confusion. See, sex out of context brings chaos, confusion, and complications. And even more than that, there's kind of like two problems that I see uh, with sex. Uh, one of them is that sex creates slaves every day. Oh, man, we're not going to have time to do all this. But l- let me just say it creates slavery, okay? Paul writes to the Corinthian church in this First Corinthians text, decades, by the way, after Jesus rose. Not like hundreds and hundreds of years, but we're talking about within striking distance of Jesus' resurrection. And, and, and he basically kind of unpacks these, these, this view that is now, that was then, okay? So in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, he says, you say, I'm allowed to do anything. So he's talking to the, a philosophy that the Corinthian church had that the world has today. These people are getting saved, and now they're saying, how, are we, how do we become a follower of Christ, but what about this whole sex thing? Because they literally were having, at the time, in the Corinthian church, you talk about supercharged, they were having sex with their step-parents, you know, uh, they were having orgies, um, this is, and they were getting saved. So on one hand, it's awesome, you know what I mean? All these people getting saved and pulled out of the world. On the other hand, they're like, why can't I do this anymore? That's what's going on in this chapter. Is everybody tracking out there, okay? And so, there's a, so Paul's saying, you say, I'm allowed to do anything. And he's basically saying, I'm not going to argue with you on that. When it comes, to, if you want to do certain things sexually, you can. God's not going to stop you. But it doesn't mean there's not going to be repercussions or consequences for those things. But not everything is good for you. Just because it's permitted doesn't mean it, just because you can doesn't mean you should. Whoa, what happened there? Okay, so, I'm not allowed to do anything, but not everything is good for you. And even though I am allowed to do anything, I must not become a slave. Everybody say a slave. That's what happens. Because you can doesn't mean you should. And the, and the incentive is because you become a slave to it. Okay? So then he goes on. He says, you say food was made for the stomach and the stomach for food. This is true. Though someday we won't have those as I already talked to you about it. So it's just an appetite. It's just something I do. I, I, I eat. It's a passion I have. And, and what's wrong with that? And why can't I do that? And, and you have an appetite? Well, go ahead and eat. That's what people do. And so sex, similarly they're saying, cries out calls out for something, why can't, why can't I do it? And so God intervenes in the discussion, and he says, your body was created for more than appetite. It's, he goes on to say, he goes on to say, but you can't say that our bodies weren't made for sexual immorality. They were made for the Lord. See, it was made for more. He's pointing to something greater than just your appetite. And the Lord cares about our bodies, and God, and, and if you've had a broken Uh, if you've had confusion and complications, if you've had chaos in your life, this is what God's going to do. The same way he raised from the, people raised from the dead by his power, just as he raised himself or God raised him from the dead, don't you realize that your bodies are actually part of Christ? So he's going to take what was broken, busted, not working right, and he can give the same resurrection power to raise Christ he can use to resurrect your sexual lives. 
Does that make sense to you guys out there? And so if you feel sexually broken, God is a God of resurrection. And just like he got Jesus out of the grave, he'll get you out of that dark cave that, that sitting in front of the computer with the lights off. He can take you out of that grave by his resurrection power. But then if you can begin to see things right, you'll actually come to the realization that you're connected to Christ. Should a man take his body, which is part of Christ, and join it to a prostitute? So he's teaching them. Sex isn't just, just a commodity. It's not just a body. You're not only attached to a whole person in you. You have Christ with you. Hallelujah. So when you have sex, he basically goes on to say, you're having church. When you participate in something that is illicit or out of context or out of covenant with God, you need to know something. You're bringing Jesus with you to that. And you're asking him to participate. And don't you realize that if a man joins himself to a prostitute, he becomes one body with her? For the scripture says the two are united into one, but the person who is joined to the Lord is one spirit with him. See, you're with. So what do you do? Run, Forrest, run. Because... Because sexual sin is a completely different category. It's different than other sins. Listen, listen. It's not different in how it goes this way. You enter, but you don't inherit. You're, it's not different this way that you're okay with God, but it's different in how it affects everything down here. Sexual sin is a whole other category where you hurt others and you hurt yourself. No other sin so clearly affects the body as this one does. You're hurting yourself. For sexual immoralities, sin is against your own body. He's trying to help you. Don't you realize that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who lives in you and was given to you by God? So when you have sex, you have it's worship. When you have sex, you're having church. It's supposed to be, and if it's in context, you'll have heaven in your sex life. If it's out of context, you'll have hell in your sex life. Okay? So you do not belong to yourself, for God bought you with a price. Man, I can't do all the things I want to do, but let me tell you. How many are getting something out of this out there, okay? Are you glorifying God with your body? Come on, let's glorify God with our bodies. Amen? So listen, let me... Um, let me say, let me just give you a couple of closing thoughts on this, all right? First of all, um, when it comes to sex, sex has a context. Everybody say, sex has a context, all right? <clears throat> there we go. Get that there. Sex has a, it's not doing it. It's, it's written wrong way. In my notes, it says that. Let's go here. Sex has a context. There we go, okay? So it's a gift. It's a delight within the context of a, of a defined relationship between a man and a woman, and inside that context, it can be like heaven. Outside, it can be like hell. Outside, I don't believe, according to Scripture, you reach your full potential. Sex, it's like marriage is like a fireplace. Marriage is like a fireplace. It's a beautiful thing. It warms the room. It's beautiful to see and look at. It's hot. But when the sparks come out of the fireplace into the rest of the house, it can cause and wreak havoc. And, and do tremendous damage. And we've allowed sparks to go everywhere and anywhere, and it's causing a lot of problems. Here's the next thing. Sex is connected. Everybody say, sex is connected. Man, it's just not obeying me. Sex is connected, okay? It's, what does that mean? Well, that scripture in 1 Corinthians 6 is telling us it's connected to others, so you're hurting other people. We already talked about that. Reputation, you know, um, you know, opportunity, all those things that hurts. It's connected to ourselves. You're sinning against your own body. And we learned that we're joined to Jesus. It's connected to God. Sex is highly connected. 
So, Pastor, what about me, though? Now, can you personalize this for me? Let me just say this. What about me? I, I could tell you story after story of the evolution of change and transformation and process that I've had to go through. Because, because sex has fallen, because it originally started with the blood of Jesus, but now it's, 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 sex has been stained by sin, it's like, a, it's like a tattoo. It's hard to get off. You can get the spirit of it right now. But there is a process and journey of, of sanctification and, and lifestyle change. But I would just tell you, don't run from the word. Hold on to it. We were singing a song, I Am a Child of God, and, you, know, you know, talking about freedom in one of the third songs in the set today. But it's from John chapter 8. If you know the truth, the truth will set you free. But earlier in that chapter, it says, hold on to my teachings. Don't run from the word. Let the word uh, affect you and get into you. Study the scriptures and what the Bible has to say, but look at it through the lens of protection and not restriction. Because your sexuality is not your identity, okay? Can we get an amen out of that? Your sexuality is not your identity. My identity isn't straight guy. Your identity isn't bisexual, gay, lesbian, transgender, bi-curious, whatever you are. Your identity isn't single, married, uh, divorced, alone, together, in love, out of love. Those things do not define you. Those are not your identity. You are more than your sexuality according to the word of God. Your sexuality is simply a part of who you are. Your marital status is not your God. Your identity is found in Jesus and who he says you are and how he sees you. Can I have an amen? You can stand to your feet. I want you to see this scripture, Ephesians chapter 1. If you want to know about your identity, read Ephesians 1 and 2. But I want to tell you, you want to have a great sex life? The best sex life is a surrendered sex life. A surrendered sex life. A surrendered sex life is by far the best sex life. You need to not just say, I'm in charge. It's my body. I can do what I want to. Surrender your sex life to Jesus Christ and see what he does for you. Can I have an amen? amen. With every head bowed, every eye closed. At both locations, as the campus pastors come to support me and help me, would you just close your eyes as we begin to pray? Thank you, Jesus.